Luke chapter 15, Jesus is telling a story. And like I said last week, he's really telling the story of us. Okay. And as believers, when we read the word of God, we've got to have the understanding that we've got to put ourselves into the stories. We can't read the Bible like a book. We can't just read the Bible like a like a novel, you know what I mean? We have to look at the Bible and go, okay, this is a story, but the story really isn't necessarily about somebody else. It's really about me and my existence and my journey with the Lord. And, the, and if we don't do this, then we never really take ownership. Does that make sense? So if I don't put myself into the story, then I just come to church on Sundays and I leave and I go, hey, that was a nice talk, Pastor Jeff good job. You know, I'm really, yeah, you did a great job today. We'll see you next week, you know, and you just kind of move on. You just kind of go on with your life. But when you put yourself into the story, that's when the word of God has the power to come alive. That's when the word of God has the power to be a mirror to your soul so that you can see, okay, this is what God is saying about me. This is what God is trying to communicate about my life. Okay. Luke chapter 15, we're going to be looking at verse 11. I'm actually reading out of the Passion Translation. It's a wonderful, wonderful uh, translation. like it a lot. Verse 11, and it says this, And Jesus said, Once there was a father with two sons. The younger son came to the father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me the share of your inheritance that belongs to me? Okay. Now, when we read the Bible, sometimes we read stories about sons and sometimes we read stories about, you know, women. I, I think when I read the Bible, I don't get so hung up on is it a son? Is it a daughter? Is it a man? Is it a woman? Whatever is happening to that individual, God is saying to us, it can be you too. So you can't read the story and think that this is just from a male's perspective. This is for all of us. But the reality is, is we have a son who lives in a home that has no lack, none, okay? We're going to do a little spoiler alert real quick, okay? We're going to jump ahead to verse 17. Verse 17, it says this, Humiliated, the son finally realized what he was doing, and he thought, There are many workers at my father's house who have all the food they want with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. They lack nothing. Okay, so we got to understand, this is not just a fictional story. This is God sharing a story about our Father, God the Father. And last week we talked about fathers and that sometimes in life our earthly fathers don't give us a wonderful perspective of who God the Father is to us. And so Jesus tells us stories about our Father, His Father, God the Father, that we can relate to. So Jesus is telling a story about a father, God the Father, and sons and daughters, that's us, that live in this house. So in the house of God, in the kingdom of God, what is Jesus saying? There's no lack. There's no lack in God the Father's house. None. It does not exist. If we went to heaven today, we would find zero pain, zero sorrow, complete peace, complete joy, complete love. We would find no, no moments of lack, okay? And I understand that we live on earth and we see lack all the time. We think about, you know, the moment we start talking about Brazil, we start thinking about there's a whole country full of lack, Right? Think about Haiti. We think about all these places around the world that we constantly see lack. We see lack in America. We see lack. I mean, you can go to one end of a neighborhood and drive a few blocks down, and you can see a totally different end of the neighborhood. It's like when you go down to Over the Rhine. You know, if you've ever been to Over the Rhine, you can be in a little restaurant district, and then you can walk just a few blocks the other direction, and you're like, where am I? Where did I go? You know? And we can see lack. Okay? But God's saying, no, there's no lack. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, I definitely didn't have workers at my house growing up, okay? Now, you might have been a little high class and a little above me, above our pay grade, okay? But we never had workers 
at our house when I was growing up, okay? But the reality is the son is saying this. You got to catch this. The son is saying the workers in the house lack for what? Nothing. Nothing. That means these workers have everything they need to be successful in this life. Everything. Okay? So what does that mean about the son? If the workers never had a day not having what they needed, do you think there was ever a day that the son didn't have what he needed? No. The son always had what he needed every day of his existence. Okay? And I was trying to explain this to uh, Levi, our wonderful, amazing children's pastor. You just need to just hug him and thank him, and he's doing a great job, and love on him, and he's doing a wonderful job. But the other day, I was talking to him about this, and I said, Levi, there's only two things that really matter in life. I mean, really, when it really boils down to it, there's two things. Number one, trust God with all your heart. Trust God with all of your heart. And number two, do what he asks you to do. Number one, trust God with all your heart. Number two, do what he asks you to do. And I said this to him. I said, I promise you there will never be a day in your life that you won't have what you need to accomplish what God has asked you to do. Never. There will never be a day of lack in your life when you are following God's plan. You are trusting God's time. You are submitted to him, trusting him, obeying him. I said, you'll never have a day that you will go without, okay? Listen, God will never ask you to do something that he hasn't already provided for, okay? The moment I was born, July 28th, 1980, wow, that sounds like a long time ago, 1980, okay? 1980. 7.47 in the morning, the morning I came, God knew I was going to be here today. And he had everything worked out, right? And the only thing that he needed me to do is trust him. The only thing he needed me to do is just go, okay, God, I'll do what you ask, when you ask, in your timing, in your, in your ways. Listen, God will always provide what you need to fulfill his plans for your life. Okay, we go on. Story says this. So the father went ahead and distributed among the two sons their inheritance. Okay, verse 13. Shortly after, the younger son packed up all of his belongings and traveled off to see the world. He, enjoyed, he journeyed off to a far-off land and soon wasted all that he had been given on reckless living. Okay? So what has the son done? The son has made a choice. He has chosen to say, I'm leaving my father's house. See, we think of this story as this is like, when we think of the story of the prodigal son, we think of like people that are shooting heroin today and they need to come back to Jesus or they need to come to Jesus, okay? And this is just the opposite. God is talking about God the Father, he's talking from a Jewish perspective. Jesus is actually talking to Jewish people. So he's talking about sons that grow up in a house that is a good house, but then choose to leave. He's made a choice to leave his home. I'll give you an example, okay? We are in Mississippi, um, I would say rotting in Mississippi. <laughs> Our first ministry job, we're there for two years. Um, I'll never forget, like, I'm having this conversation with my senior pastor. There's a white school, basically, and a black school, and I have favor in the black school, and we have about 90 black kids coming to our youth ministry. He sits down with me, and he says, um, I think we're reaching the wrong type of kids. And I said, black kids, right? And he goes, no, no, just the wrong type of kids. And I was like, yeah, it's black kids. Come on, let's just be real, okay, you know? And I knew in my heart of hearts, the Lord was like, this is not right, and we got to go, okay? This is not, this is not Jeff Workmeister, okay? This is not the kingdom of God. And so the Lord tells us to quit our job. We quit our job, and, and, and I'm in that season 
of just feeling kind of low because Jess was pregnant. We were about to have Michael. I didn't have a job. I didn't have any job offers. I was really frustrated with the last two years of my life. We didn't know where we were going. Anybody relate ever at this? You know what I mean? You're just kind of feeling like, oh, gosh, where am I going? What's happening in my life? You know? And so I have this amazing idea. I'm going to take my car that I have like three payments left, and I'm going to trade it in, and I'm going to buy this car for $25,000, a bright red Jetta. It was a, you know, um, what was it, a turbo. You know, if you took it over 110 miles, it would actually lower, and you could go faster. And I'm going to buy this car, and I'm going to have a car payment of $460, and we're going to have car insurance that's $230, and, and I'm going to do this because I want to feel better about myself, right? I want to do, uh, it's going to make me feel good. And so I did. What did I do? I said, God, I don't trust what you're doing with my life right now. I need to go make myself happy. I need, to, I need to find something that's going to bring some contentment and joy into my soul, right? And so what happens, okay? Three years, was it three or four years later, the, I, the car got repossessed. <laughs> Why? Because God's not obligated to bless anything that's outside of his plan. That was my plan. That was my timing. And we get into these moments and we go, God, why isn't this working out? God, why, why, where? And we get mad at God. That's what's funny is we do something outside of God's plan and timing. And then we start yelling at God and God goes, I, I didn't do this. You chose to leave home. And this is what the son does. The son chooses to leave home that is safe where there's no lack. And it's absolute blessing. Listen, I'm sorry, but if you're living in a home that there's no lack, I'm pretty sure there's some good days, okay? I'm pretty sure those days are fun and enjoyable. I'm pretty sure that there's peace and joy. I'm pretty sure it's a great place to be. And he chooses to leave home. So what do we learn from the son who chooses to leave home? The first thing we will learn is this. The son was not ready to receive the blessing. The son wasn't ready to receive the inheritance. And so the Bible has these two great stories in it. They have a, the Bible has a story about this guy named Joseph, and the Bible has a story about this guy named David, okay? And both of them received a promise from God at a really young age, right? At a really young age, God comes to him and says, listen, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to favor you. My anointing's on you. God, I'm, I'm with you, but then what happens? A prolonged season. Oh, man. See, this is, what, this is what's tough, is when God speaks to you, you know, some of you got that word still in your heart that Abner spoke over you when Abner was here, or you're in worship, you're in a moment, God speaks something to your heart, and then what happens? A prolonged season, and we start going, God, where are you? God, what happened? You spoke. And so God gave him a prolonged season. What was happening in the prolonged season? God was maturing them to be ready for the day that would come that they would receive the blessing because God doesn't want blessing to be wasted. Does that make sense? Remember, we talk about this, that we are called to be blessed to be a blessing. So blessing comes when we go, yeah, I'll be a great steward of it. So God puts us in seasons. You ever think about this? You ever think like, oh man, God, I just, I really need patience. And then all of a sudden you're a mom or you're a dad. And you're like, God, I'm going to lose my mind. You know what I mean? Like, God, what do I do with these people that you've given me, you know? Right? And God goes, oh, I thought you asked for patience. <laughs> right? God puts us in these seasons. 
where we got to trust him. We have to trust and be patient in his plan, in his timing. His plans and timings are not your plans and timings. Not at all. Okay? The second thing we learn is this. He went off to a far-off land. Okay? He traveled away to a far-off land. Okay? All right. So when we get away, he's okay. Don't, don't worry about him. I totally understand. Okay? Listen, I get it. So he goes off to a far-off land. Okay? So he leaves home. Correct? Okay? What happens when he leaves home? He's alone. He's away from the Father, right? So remember last week we talked about who, who's the one that can give you identity in this life? Father. So when, when our fathers don't know who they are, they aren't able to give us the correct identity that we need in this life, right? So when we're close to God the Father, what's his agenda? To give you identity. So if the son leaves home, he's no longer close to the Father. He can't hear the Father. He no longer has identity anymore. He no longer has the ability to know who he is. And he becomes confused, disoriented, alone. And this is exactly where the enemy wants you. This is his whole plan to get you alone, to get you away. Why? Because the Bible says this, that the enemy is like a lion looking for someone to devour. He's not a lion, but what do lions hunt? Do lions hunt the pact? No. Lions hunt those who stray away. So if you have a group of gazelles, you can watch this. Go, go look on Discovery Channel, whatever. A group of gazelles, if one gets away from the pact, what does the lion do? The lion isolates the one, right? The lion is looking at the one that is alone and away from the pact, correct? Okay, and he's going to attack that one. When we wander away, we become confused. We no longer have a voice that's speaking to us, okay? Hey, listen, I want you to know something. You are at the right place at the right time. Everything is fine, okay? God loves you so stinking much, okay? Do not let that bother you for a second. God's got his hand on your life and on your family, okay? I want you to know that 100%, okay? Romans chapter 1, verse 20 says this, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities and eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. You ever get this question where they're like, oh, how did people before the Bible know that it was a God? Well, God shows us through creation every day. You see a, you see a rainbow, and you go, oh, wow. You see the sun set, you see God's creation, you go, wow, God, I can't believe you painted that, you made that. So God is speaking to us. Verse 21, it says this. Yes, they knew God, but they didn't worship him as God or give him thanks. So they began to think of foolish ideas of what God was like. You ever met somebody that like grew up in church and then they're far away from God and all of a sudden you have a conversation with them and you're like, you have like pieces of truth. You have like half truths. Why? Because they're far away from the Father. Their mind has become dark and confused. It's like I was listening uh, to the radio the other day. They were talking about this church in SoCal out in California and this is the church. They meet at a brewery they are pro-gay, pro-lesbian, pro-feminist. Um, they are pro-multicultural, which I'm pro-multicultural. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. They are pro just about anything in this life. Why? Be, is it because the word tells us that this is God's plan? No, this is not God's plan. And can, can we just be honest about something, okay? When we talk about homosexuality, look, sin is sin. 
okay? If you have an issue with gossiping, it's the same as any other sin. We just like to classify sins in America and go, this sin is greater than this sin. Sin is sin, okay? And thank God for God's grace, and thank God for God's love. But God's grace and love helps us to come to Jesus and find victory over sin, right? Not to leave us in our sin, okay? So what's going on with this church? Just dark and confused, right? Goes on. As a result, their mind became dark and confused, verse 2, claiming to be wise, but instead being utter fools, verse 23. Instead of worshiping the glorious ever-lifting God, they worship idols made to look like mere people, birds, animals, reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever sinful, shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile, degrading things with each other's bodies. This is why Sunday mornings are so important. You need the presence of God. You need the house of the Lord. This is why dinner parties are so amazing. So amazing. I was at a dinner party Friday night. It was incredible. Number one, I loved, this was the best part about the whole entire night. We had our Puerto Rican family, we had a Hispanic family, we had a black family, we had a white family, and what was happening? Jesus. Just Jesus. Didn't matter. Didn't matter what background you're from, didn't matter where you're where you live, doesn't matter where you came from. All that matters is we were just there to celebrate Jesus together. It's just family. Let's dinner parties, they're so important. Relationships inside of the house of God are so important. It's so important that you have relationships with somebody that you can go, hey, what do you think about this? And they're going to give you godly counsel. They're going to go, hey, here's what the word of God said. Somebody recently said this to me. They said, every time I talk to you, you always point me back to the Bible. And I was like, thank you, Jesus, that I do that. Because everybody wants my opinion. But my opinion doesn't matter. My opinion isn't going to help you. My opinion will not bring you freedom. The word of God will bring you freedom. Jesus will bring you freedom. So I need to point you back to him, not to what I think. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 14. With everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry for there was a severe famine in the land. So he, began, so he begged the farmer in that country to hire him. The farmer hired him and sent him out to feed the pigs. The son was so famished, okay, that he was willing to eat the slop of the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. Verse 17, humiliated the son finally realized what he was doing. Anybody ever been humiliated before? Okay, just one. Thanks, Adam. I appreciate you. We got one honest or two honest. We got to, here we go. Uh, okay, I remember my junior year of high school, I'm on the swim team, okay? Now, listen, God didn't create this body. I know, I know. Everybody has this picture. Now, listen, all right. Can we just, can we just, I know, wait, wait. Well, there was basketball. There was basketball, okay? But let me, let me be clear. There was no speedo action going on in Jeff Workmeister, okay? I wasn't down with that, okay? All right? Maybe some shorty shorts, you know? You got the white milky legs to look at, but, you know, no. So I'm on the swim team, okay? It's 5 a.m., Practice. Practice is at 5 a.m. We're in the pool at 5 a.m. That means you're up at like 4.15, okay? I am not a morning person, okay? I'm like a zombie in the morning. So this one morning I get up, I go to swim practice, I go back to my locker, I'm getting ready for school now, okay? And I realize I have no underwear. Just I've totally spaced on my underwear, okay? And so I'm like, I got my basketball shorts and here we go. You know, it's a day of lunch. So so it's the middle of the day, it's lunchtime at my school. Let's just, let's just say that this is the lunchroom and everything around the lunchroom is the lockers. Okay, so people are at their lockers, they're getting their stuff. I have my lunch. And let's just say me and my friends, we loved pranks. We love having a good time. So, you know, I'm just like carrying my lunch. I'm looking for my bros. And my boy Wade comes up behind me. 
and just pants me, just pants me, okay? You know, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just like, you know, it's that moment where you're like, I want to die. I just, I just, <laughs> I want to die. Like, if I could die right now, this is the perfect moment to die, you know what I mean? So you just drop, you drop your lunch, you know what I mean? And then the worst, this is the worst part, you know? You actually have to bend down, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like shame. It's just like guilt and shame. You're just like, like, I hope nobody's behind me at this moment. You know what I mean? And you're, so humiliated, right? Humiliated. So what is the truth about humiliation? I thought, never in my life will there ever be a day where I will not wear underwear. And they will be clean underwear and they will be wonderful underwear, right? I learned, I learned, I learned from that experience. Okay. Now, the Bible says the son is humiliated. Okay. What does humiliation do? It brings us to repentance. Okay. Humiliation brings us to repentance. And sometimes when this happens, we think, God is mad at me. And it's the absolute opposite. God loves when we get to the end of ourselves. Sometimes, sometimes humiliation just brings us aware to go, I left home. Why did I leave home? I went from driving this beautiful Jetta to, I think we had, I think we scraped up $1,900 somehow. I don't know how we scraped it up, but we scraped up $1,900. God was good. He he, and that's the thing. This is what's so cool about God. Even when you fail, God's mercy reigns. So even if our failure of losing that car, now we have no car. We had one car at the time. Somehow God brought enough. We had $1,900. And I remember we bought this white Mercury Mountaineer cash, $1,900. Drove it, I think, for four years. And then, and then we actually gave it to Matt, and he drove it for another four years. Okay, so even in a moment that I am humiliated, I mean, who wants to get their car repossessed? It's a horrible feeling. Felt like a failure as a husband, felt like a failure to my family. I couldn't believe this is happening. Yet God still loves these moments because these are the moments that we are the truest and rawest versions of ourselves. And in those moments, we come to God and we go, God, I did it my way and I failed. And God goes, it's okay. It's okay. You're still my son. You're still my daughter. I love you. I got this. I've got you. God loves humble hearts. The quicker you get humble, the quicker God can move. He loves humble people. Goes on to say this. Story goes on to say this. And he thought, there are many workers at my father's house who have all the food they want and plenty left to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I here dying of hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? I want to go back home to my father's house. I'll say to my father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I'll never be worthy of being called your son. Never, right? This is our thought with God when we fail, when we mess up. We think, oh, God, I'll never be worthy. If I can just, you know, somehow get your grace again, but I'll never be worthy enough to be a son again. Right? So a lot of times in our relationship with God, we're not coming to him as sons and daughters. We're coming to God as workers. Right? Can I do enough? Can I be enough? Can I work hard enough in the kingdom of God that I can earn some grace? But God goes, no, you're not my workers. You're my sons and my daughters. I actually call you friends. Sons and daughters, listen, listen, my son could never be a worker in my house because he's a workmeister, right? 
I'm not, I'm not hiring him. He just gets to live in the blessing of my home. So as sons and daughters, we're worthy not because of what we do. We're worthy because of who we have. Jesus, God the Father. Oh, my gosh. Verse 20. So the son set off for home. Far along, from, from a long distance away, the father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar, and had great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son, who was returning home. So the father reached out to meet him. Worship team, you guys can come on up. Okay. Why, why does this matter? Okay. The father sees him coming from a long distance. Okay. The first thing we got to understand is that this is a Jewish father. Okay. And in this, as a Jewish father, okay, he has a um, stature. Let's put it that way. Okay. Have you ever met like a patriarch in the family? You know what I mean? Where like, it's like a grandma or grandfather or somebody in the family, they walk in and you can just kind of feel like the family kind of honors this person. This is what's happening in the Jewish culture. Jewish fathers walk into a room and everybody's like, oh, dad's here. It's kind of what happens when we worship and then we can feel God the father and we go, ooh, God's here. And what happens when God shows up? We all go, what do you want? Right? Dad's home. What do you want? So here's a father, okay? And Jewish fathers never broke tradition. Never. But Jesus is telling a story about a father who is looking out for his son, looking out in the distance for his son to come home. And it says that he rushes. Other translation says he runs. The father runs. He sees the son and he starts running to his son. What is Jesus telling this Jewish group of people? He's saying, listen, my father, God the Father, doesn't care about traditions. He doesn't care about what society thinks. He doesn't care what you think. He doesn't care what somebody else thinks. He runs. He runs after me. The second thing that we got to understand is this. There's this tradition, okay, that the town would see a son coming back and they would go and they would grab a large pot. The town, everybody in the town would grab a large pot. They would come out. Jess is so nervous right now because she doesn't want me to break this pot. She's like, please Jeff, don't break this pot. She, she wants to take it home. That's why, okay? Oh. So they grab this pot, the town shows up, meets the son at the edge of town. And then the father shows up, right? The father who doesn't run, the father slowly walks to the edge of town to meet the friends, the family, the neighbors, everyone that the son has grown up with. And they take this pot and they throw it on the ground and they smashed the pot. Kind of like last week. The pieces. Now what are they doing? They're doing two things. This is Jewish culture, okay? Jewish culture, they're smashing the pot. Number one, to show you, your life is a heap of ruins. You are broken, and we want to remind you of your guilt and your shame for leaving home. Every piece on this ground is going to remind you of your broken nature, okay? The second thing that it represented was this. It was them as a city, a town, the father doing what? We are excommunicating you from all of us. 
So when we break this pot, you are no longer welcome in this city, this town, or your father's home. You will live outside. <laughs> Where did the lepers live? Where did the sick live? They lived outside of the city. They're saying you will live outside with the lepers and the rejects. We are rejecting your life. You will never spend another day in the Father's house. This is actually a picture of eternity. This is a picture of heaven and hell. God never desired for his people, every person on earth that is alive and well and breathing today, no matter what they believe or think, are God's people. It's God's sons and daughters. And he never intended them to live eternity in hell. What is hell truly? Hell is true separation from God the Father. It's true separation. It's going, I left home and I never came back home. So what is happening? Jesus says, my father is running. Why is the father running? Because the town, the town goes, Luke is coming back. I, I, got, I got word. Luke is coming back. We can see him coming. Everybody in the town, come on, let's get the pot. He left home. He did his own plan. He spent his money. He wasted it on wild living, doing what he wanted to do. Let's get the pot. And the father is running. Why? Because the father knows if I don't get to my son first, the town will. And if the town gets to him before I do, we're going to break this pot. And he's going to be excommunicated from my house. And so the father says, no, I will run to get my son. That's my son. That's my daughter. I am passionate, passionate about them. Goes on to say that the, this is what the word says, that the father sweeps him up in his arms. I want you to get a picture of God just like hugging you, picking you up. I love doing this to kids. Kids love when I do this. I'll pick them up and I'll just spin them. Why? Because I'm, I'm pouring joy over their life. They love it. They love coming to me. I want every kid in our church to know every time they hug Pastor Jeff, they're not hugging Pastor Jeff, they're hugging Jesus. I'm their picture of Jesus. So when I hug them and I hold them and I tell them I'm proud of them and I love them and I'm spinning them around, what is God the Father doing? He is pouring his love through me into them. I want you to imagine God the Father running to you and he picks you up. I know it's an odd thing. You're like, man, I'm a grown doll. Ain't nobody picking me up, you know? He says he sweeps him up. He hugged him dearly. He kissed all over him with tender love. Verse 21, then the son said to the father, this is the son going, this is my moment. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell my dad, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. And just at that moment, the father interrupts him. And he says, son, daughter, you're home. That's all that matters right now. You're home. Verse 22. Turning to the servants, the father quickly said, quickly, bring me the best robe, my very own robe, and I'll place it on his shoulder. Bring him a ring, the seal of sonship. Listen, as a son, you would wear a ring of your family. And as that ring, anything that your father had, you had, right? Remember the father in the house that has no lack? As sons and daughters, all we do is we go, 
I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I want what you want, God. What's your plan? Because I know as long as I'm in your plan, I will never have a day of lack. God, what's your plan? I get to have what's in the house. See, I love that God is no respecter of person. You know, my favorite, 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 favorite stories are is people that take Drew and Ferris class on finances. I remember when you guys took their class. I was so excited for you. You know why? Because I thought everything that God has done financially for Drew and Farah, he is no respecter of person. He will do it for anybody else. Doesn't matter who you are. He just goes, just come to me, learn my ways, and you will be so blessed you won't know what to do with it. Amen? God is no respecter. When you see God heal somebody else, that's your opportunity to go, oh, if God healed them, he can heal me. There's no respecter of person. There's no lack in his house. No lack in God's house. The only time there's lack is when we step outside of God's plan and God's life. He goes on to say, put the ring on his finger, bring out the shoes for my son. Verse 23, let's prepare a great feast and a celebration for my beloved son of mine. Where did we see these words before in the Bible? My beloved son. Where did we see my beloved son? We saw in Matthew chapter, was it chapter two? Matthew chapter two, what happens? Jesus comes, John the Baptist is baptizing him. John the Baptist brings Jesus down into the water, brings him out of the water. What happens? The sky opens up and God the Father goes, this is my beloved son. And now God the Father, Jesus is saying, listen, this is my beloved daughter. This is my beloved son. He's not speaking it over Jesus. He's speaking it over us. He says, this beloved son of mine was once dead, but now he's alive again. He was once lost, but now he is found. And everyone celebrated, overflowing with joy. When you get this into your soul, everything changes. Because let me give you some info. You're gonna fail. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, you're gonna fail. You're like, this is, what are we doing, Jeff? Pastor Jeff, why, why are we saying this here? This doesn't make sense, okay? We don't talk like this, right? No, 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 no. You got to understand this. You're going to fail in this life. If Paul, that wrote half of the New Testament, said, I don't understand myself. Why do I do the things that I hate? I don't understand why I'm still dealing with sin. If Paul is dealing with sin... I think we're going to deal with it on occasion in this life and we're going to fail. But you know what I would tell our youth students all the time is if you were walking in the hall of your school and you slipped and you tripped and you fell down all the way to the ground, you wouldn't go, oh, okay, it's over. What's the point? I guess people step on me. It's going to be a long day on the ground. Right? That's the dumbest thing ever. If you fell down, you what? You get back up. But when you understand that your father is pleased with you, your heavenly father is pleased with you. When you sin, you do what? You quickly humble your heart and go, God, I'm sorry. I can't believe I reacted that way at work. God, I'm sorry. I can't believe I reacted that way to my wife. God, I'm sorry that I didn't trust you with my finances. God, I'm sorry. And you quickly humble your heart and he goes, okay, it's all right. I still love you. 
You're so son, you're so daughter. The problem is, it's just, we've never really been taught this way in the church. Unfortunately, in a lot of churches, when people have failures, what do we do? We go, get the pot. Get the pot. Get the pot. Randy, he can't stay here any longer, right? Can you believe that Randy had an affair? Get the pot. Get the pot. He's not welcome here anymore, right? We thought Randy was our friend, and we thought Randy was a godly man, and we thought Randy had it all together, and we thought, we thought, we thought, and we go, get the pot. And what do we do? We excommunicate people from the body of Christ. And the truth is, all we need to do is go, nope, we know you failed, but that's not your identity, Randy. That's not who God called you to be. And you're not going anywhere, Randy. You're staying right here in the Father's house. And we're going to help you. Amen? This is what God the Father does for us. Why don't you stand this morning? you grab a hand to the person next to you. Today, if you're in here and you go, you know what, Pastor Jeff? Either I was in the Father's house and I walked away, or I've never been in the Father's house, but I want to be in the Father's house. I want to be connected to Jesus. Today's your day. This is your moment. You don't let it go. Don't let the moment pass by. This is your moment. Okay? God spoke this message directly to you for you because he loves you. So if that's you today and you go, I need to surrender my heart, my life to Jesus, just squeeze the hand of the person next to you real hard. Just squeeze their hand. Just say, this is me. Either I, I don't know Jesus or I've been away. I need to come home. sins, my guilt, and my shame. But you rose three days later victoriously. So I will rise with you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for every single person who just prayed that prayer. We thank you. that heaven is celebrating right now. We thank you that in heaven there's a joyous party being thrown. God, we, we praise you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. Thank you. Now I want you to squeeze somebody's hand if you go, I just struggle believing that I'm a son and a daughter. Just squeeze their hand. Just say, I struggle. I struggle struggle with this. We're going to pray over you. Father, we thank you for sonship. We thank you, God, for daughters in your kingdom. I break the lie of the enemy that tells us that we have to earn your love. I break it over your people right now in Jesus' name. I plead the blood of Jesus upon their minds right now, harassing thoughts, lies, past failures that the enemy uses to bring condemnation. I bind you now in Jesus' name. 
and I release grace to be free from the past. Father, we thank you that the word says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So Father, we release your spirit. We release your spirit. We release your grace, your strength, your love, your life. We thank you, God, for new identity. I just want you to say new identity. Just say new identity. Thank you for new identity. New identity. New identity. <laughs> new identity. New identity. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I thank you, Lord, that they see clearly. Sons and daughters. Sons and daughters. You get to come home at any moment. Find your grace. Find your peace. Find your strength. Thank you, God, for no lack, no lack, no lack, no lack. Father, I lift up every person in here who has made mistakes financially. I lift up every person in here who has made mistakes and walked outside of your timing and your plan. And Father, I ask that your mercy would reign on their life right now. I ask that your favor, your blessing, your grace, your abundance would reign to them and they, they would recognize it is you and you alone, Jesus. And it would draw their hearts back to you. We love you. We praise you. Yes, it's in Jesus. Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Look at me. Look. The Bible says this. It doesn't say the wrath of God leads us back, right? The Bible says it is the goodness of God that draws our hearts to him. Amen? I know that we, a lot of us, grew up in churches that was hellfire and brimstone, okay? Hard preaching. We were never good enough. Always trying to be what God wanted us to be. I'm sorry. But it wasn't true. It's the goodness of God. Yes, heaven and hell are real, yes. But it is the goodness of God that leads me to go, okay, God, I'll try your way, okay? So let me say this. If you're aware to God this week, he's gonna speak to you about stuff. And it's not gonna be him upset at you. It's gonna be him going, come close to me, and I'll show you where to find the victory. Amen? How many go, yeah, I want that this week? Okay, I do. I want God to speak to me. I want victory in every area of my life. Amen? Listen, we love you. We love you. We're so proud of you. We're so proud of our church. We're so proud of where God's going. Um, please be in prayer with us this week. We are in a fever hot pitch of negotiations right now on that building. It is so close, it is so close. Be in prayer that we have wisdom, we have understanding. We know the victory is the Lord's and it's ours through the Lord, amen? Hey, have a great week. We love you, we love you. We will see you next weekend.